You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With regard to the ruin, you know, I, I look at my images like what I'm trying to capture is not only the past and what that says about that place, but the present, what's currently going on, and then what might happen in the future. Hi. My name is Blake, and welcome to Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. Per usual, I have just a quick note before we get started. This is a bonus episode, so if you haven't listened to our show yet, I would suggest that you hit the pause button and go back to the beginning, to the prologue in Season 1, to Anamoya, so you can get a sense of what we're doing here. But if you're not an All-American Ruins newbie, hey again. I'm in the middle of production on Season 2, which comes out in September, and I really can't wait to show you what we're up to. In the meantime, I've been releasing various bonus episodes between now and September so that your abandoned RSS feed doesn't go cold. Collaborations with cool organizations like History Colorado, personal songwriting diaries inspired by various abandoned buildings I've explored, or episodes just like this one. An interview with one of the more preeminent photographers of abandoned spaces in the United States, specifically, the Borscht Belt, America's faded Jewish vacation land, which you learned about in episode three of the first season, Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall, where I reimagine my first experience exploring the Neville Grand Resort. Now, as you know, Abandoned is part of the larger All-American Ruins multiverse, a multimedia travelogue where I recount my experiences exploring abandoned spaces across the United States and reimagine them via written, photographic, audio, and cinematic storytelling. When I first joined the community, I wanted to find a way to offer my voice to a robust neighborhood filled with photographers, videographers, choreographers, dancers, models, graffiti artists, and activists, architects, preservationists, and creative geniuses who, in one way or another, all share the same passion, a deep spiritual love of abandoned spaces. In her unofficial Urbex Manifesto, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, Rebecca Solnit states that, A city is built to resemble a conscious mind, a network that can calculate, administrate, manufacture. Ruins become the unconscious of a city, its memory, unknown, darkness, lost lands, and in this, truly bring it to life. Originally, I was going to simply interview Marissa and post it, but as our conversation got started, it was immediately clear to me that I was chatting with not only a photographer or a scholar of the ruins of America, but a storyteller. What started as a bonus interview episode quickly evolved into something much bigger. Marissa's deep familial connection growing up in the Borscht Belt, right at the end of its life, was its own story. And that's next on Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. I love that you talked about Rebecca Solnit because I, I also sourced her. You you said a Rebecca Solnit quote, and I'm going to, I have it written down here because I love it. Landscape is visible. Too often history is not or assumes strange and unrecognizable forms. A few months into the pandemic, a friend sent me a link to a book called The Borscht Belt, Revisiting the Remains of America's Jewish Vacation Land. 
My name is Marissa Scheinzold. I am a photographer and an author. At the time, I had just explored the Neville Grand Resort, one of the more notable abandoned hotels in the Borscht Belt region. And I was, um, shall we say, an urbex baby, soaking in as much information as I could about abandoned spaces across the country. I'm also a professor. I teach photography at SUNY Purchase and have for about five years. When I opened the link, it took about four seconds for me to buy the book. The photography was so stunning that I didn't even have to think about it. I wanted it, and I purchased it without even realizing that it wasn't just a coffee table book with nice pictures. It was actually a graceful and poignant elegy penned in tribute to an entire subculture, a decades-long era filled with hope, joy, and perseverance, all centered around the history of this very specific geographical location with this strange nickname, the Borscht Belt, or the Jewish Alps. I grew up in the Borscht Belt. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, but my parents moved up to what is known as the Borscht Belt in Monticello in 1985 and have been there ever since. It was a story of triumph, of community, of solidarity, and the internet was filled with thousands of stories from people who had deep connections to the Borscht Belt region, some as big as this book I'd purchased and some as small as a three-sentence Facebook comment. And I was on the outskirts of those comments. Like most of the abandoned spaces I've visited over the past three years, this history wasn't my own, but I felt connected to it somehow. The book arrived, I read it, loved it, but never engaged with it much after that. In many ways, obviously the region is embedded in my own personal history, uh, as well as a collective wider history, but it has become the tapestry of my life, so if I could borrow from the Queen, Carol King. Fast forward to last week, literally, mid-April 2023. I'm in Eldred, New York, smack dab in the middle of the Borscht Belt region, and I walk into a small shop, where I immediately take note of a framed photograph on the wall. I recognize the photo, but to be sure, I ask the shopkeep if the photo is the work of Marissa Scheinfeld. Yes, she confirmed, it is. And actually, I know Marissa, she said. And actually, here's her Instagram. You two should connect. I've spent 10 years now researching the Borscht Belt, documenting it with my first book, and now I'm doing a historic preservation effort that continues and is an expansion of that project. And I don't know what came over me. I'm not really one to reach out to personal celebrities, but I don't know. Scheinfeld's work is so compassionate and engaging. I thought, what the hell, she's probably approachable. So I reached out. And she got back to me immediately. And the next thing I know, I'm on a Zoom call with one of my idols, someone who really helped shape my deep love of the urbex community. And suddenly, I'm talking to someone who not only is an expert on the region, but has lived it firsthand. The Borscht Belt was the preeminent destination and vacation, as well as communal space for American Jews. And as our conversation went on, I began to feel deeply moved. And again, connected to the Borscht Belt region, somehow. But like with Anamoya, I couldn't chalk it up to my own personal history. I had none. But still, something was there. I felt like I was going to cry at any moment. 
I couldn't figure out what was going on until Marissa said, It began in the 1920s, and the reason why it began was because Jews were excluded from many different establishments, places, jobs, social clubs, and the 20s and 30s was very rampant with anti-Semitism. They preached the doctrine of racial and class hatred. For Hitler had said America could be conquered from within and fall as an overripe plum to the Nazi master race. And then it hit me. Solidarity. So there was this desire with so many Jewish Americans coming into the country to experience that American dream. And because they were excluded from so many places, they found a location about 90 miles to New York City that was accessible by rail and by car. And they built um, an unbelievable space that was comprised of over 500 hotels. And it reigned supreme, not only in American Jewish history, but has continued in American imagination for over 50 years. It has had a lasting impact, not only on New York State history, Catskill history, so many individuals, the collective population, but its impact on American popular culture is also um, really unknown to, to many. My parents moved up to the Borscht Belt when I was five. And the story goes that my dad was offered a job in Connecticut or in Paris, New York, which is up in Sullivan County. And he claims to this day that he picked the job in Harris because the Borscht Belt was the place where he had the best memories of his life. So my parents trucked up there from Brooklyn in the mid-80s and have been up there ever since. As a child, my grandparents were going up there. They owned a condo adjacent to Kutcher's, which is a pretty iconic and one of the longest opening Borscht Belt hotels. I think it closed its door in 2001. And on the weekends, because my grandparents had a condo next to Kutcher's, I would get dropped off, they would babysit me, and I got to engage in the quintessential Borscht Belt activities of bingo and Simon Says and shuffleboard and swimming in the pools, um, enjoying the lake. And my grandpa, Jack, was a card shark, so he was well-known, and he would often go down the road to the Concord, which was also still open. So those two hotels were really the quintessential spaces for my family to hang out in. And as a teenager, I worked my first job as a lifeguard at the Concord in 1996, the summer before it closed. That was the Borscht Belt. It also affords community it forged relationships, many which extend to the present day. And I think the story rings true for anyone that's been lucky to have had a glimpse of it, work in it, experience it. And for me, it's been a fascination because it's very much rooted in my personal history. I love the region and I enjoy celebrating it and talking about it whenever I can. I understand what it means to be in a community who has historically been shunned and persecuted again and again. So I braved up and I said something about it. You know, I actually, I was thinking about the murky anti-Semitism that is woven into the fabric of the Borscht Belt history. The part of it that I was really drawn to was not the anti-Semitism. What I was drawn to was the actual revolution itself, this triumphant and almost rebellious nature of the Jewish population saying, actually, you know what? fine, we don't need your hotels, we don't need your resorts. If you don't want us in your jobs or your spaces, then we're going to make our own. 
And I think the reason that spoke to me so much is because as a queer man, that's exactly what my community also did. Fine, you don't want us in your bars or cabaret theaters or your resorts or job. That's fine. We'll go make our own. So to me, these rotted and decaying remnants of what you refer to as America's Jewish vacation land, they represent so much more than just this nostalgia for a time gone by. They represent triumph. They surely represent triumph and they represent perseverance and they represent a revolutionary moment. Exactly. You nailed it. Where Jews said, well, you don't want us in our in your club, we're going to make our own. And the 20s with the rampant anti-Semitism towards Jews extended into many more periods of hate for other groups. Other groups of people found respite and refuge in the Catskills. There was discrimination not only towards Jews, but to the Black community, the Hispanic community, the gay community, the Asian community. If you do look at the Catskills, not only was it this refuge for American Jews who faced a ton of discrimination, but it also welcomed so many other groups who found peace, who found uh, a welcome mat, and who found acceptance in these gorgeous special mountains. The Borscht Belt was born on the horrific back of anti-Semitism. I have access to a book online. It's the 1919 Jewish Farmers' Almanac. And the cover of it says places where Jews are welcomed. And you look in the book and it shows places to get your car fixed, hotels, rooming houses, boarding houses. And the black community used this to make the Green Book in the 1950s. It was a model. And in the first edition from the Green Book, they talk about how unfortunate it is that they had to make this book, but how they looked to the Jewish community to create this book and that there was the hope that one day these books would not have to be used. And I think that it is so triumphant and beautiful and it really shows perseverance and dedication. And those those characteristics are ones that I really try to embrace, even in my own personal struggles. Do you remember subsequently the first time that you set foot into one of these spaces that was abandoned and how it made you feel? Anamoya, it's a, such a beautiful word. I think that this longing uh, for something is is just a, it, it's a part of, um, I guess, our, our wishes and our, and our hopes to connect. I started with this process called re-photography, where I would take an archival postcard, because there's so much that was produced from the Borscht Belt, and I'd find a postcard, and then I'd go to the place where it was made roughly 50 years ago. One of the first places I went to was the Laurels Hotel. The Laurels was once the biggest hotel in Sullivan County. The Laurels had the biggest steel swimming pool in the world. It was on a lake. It had indoor, outdoor pools. It was massive. It was gorgeous. And I went to the Laurels and all that was left were two pools. A little bit of remnants of debris from a building that had burned a long time ago and tennis courts. And all I felt when I got there was this unbelievable sense of peace. While there was definitely narratives of loss and change strewn across the property, there was something again so magical about it. And I took my camera and I found this bean-shaped pool that was once indoors that is now outdoors. And that was the beginning of the project where I did these now and then views.
then I jumped into places like Grossinger's, which I never went to as a kid. Summer fashions on parade beside a swimming pool mark the start of a winter festival weekend at Grossinger's, New York. It is the huge resort hotel, which is the best bet for the city dweller who is looking in the country for the same amusements he has in town. Such resorts welcome back many of the same people year after year. Grossinger's was just at that time, 2012. It got knocked down in 2019. In 2012, some of the structures had been leveled, but so much of it was still there. And it was like a fortress. And it was intimidating. And it was a little scary. Um, as a woman, I um, really did have to take extra precaution. I pride myself on being super independent and just like, yes, I'm going to grossing earth today. The light is beautiful. I shoot with all natural light. But I did. I had to bring friends. I had to bring people for safety. Uh, these hotels are tenuous. They're unstable. Yeah, there are floors falling. There are roofs that are caving in. There are sometimes people squatting in them, people partying in them, people that you'll find also scavenging through them. So it was one of the, it was a situation where I really always had to prepare and plan. Um, but I did that anyway. Um, and what ended up happening were these serendipitous encounters where at Grossinger's, I went and someone pulled up in a golf cart because the golf course was open at the time. And this guy, James, got out and he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, hey, a documentary project and gave him my whole spiel. And oh, he's from Liberty. I'm from Monticello. So there's that immediate connection that I think allowed me to, to kind of get in. And he said, well, let me give you a tour. So how surreal to get a tour of an old abandoned hotel. But it was these connections through strangers and friends and family who went with me to these hotels who provided an opening and allowed me to go back to them many different times over. Sometimes my intellect was driving where I'd see a plant growing up through a floor and I knew that that was so, you know, peculiar and odd and beautiful and that was my image. But then other times when I went to places like the Concord, I was emotionally floored because it was in ruin and rubble. It looked nothing like what it did as a child. And the only thing, actually, you'll see in one of the images, I'll describe it, is a pile of rubble that's probably like 20 feet tall. And then behind it were these pine trees. And for those who've been to the Concord, there were pine trees that lined the driveway, the long driveway in and out. And all I could place were those pine trees. And I felt so imbalanced because it was like this meeting of Marissa as a kid and then me now. And it pushed me to this place where I was thinking about my grandparents who had passed and time and change and even things like my first boyfriend who I fell in love with at the Concord. And, you know, all this like romantic stuff, too, comes up. And, and with that melancholia, um, it's weird how they're intertwined. And it was a balance of operating with obviously creativity and a creative mindset, but this push and pull between my emotions and then my intellect making all the images. The sort of grounding tenet of all American ruins is this idea that our imaginations can unlock real emotional, mental, and spiritual healing. And when the pandemic started, I would enter, say, the Homawak Lodge, and immediately I, it came to life, despite the fact that there were, like you mentioned, these piles of rubble or the trees being the only things that could place it, it came alive. 
for you, what is it, aside from everything you've mentioned, that engenders your curiosity or maybe sparks your imagination to continue exploring and dedicating your life, really, to preserving the history of these places? Well, I think, you know, with the Borscht Belt, it was personal. But with my new work, it had to go in a different direction. But the threads through both of them are what once was. And it is looking back at the past. And often, not always, but often, it is ruins. And, you know, ruins throughout history have had so much meaning. There are metaphors in ruins. There are narratives of the cycle of life and death. And they're fascinating because it is what the landscape has left behind. You know, what has been lost as well as what has taken place. And many like to think that ruins are dead, but I don't think so. They're inert. They're vital. They're moving. They're constantly shifting with temperature, with seasons, with time, with change, with people who have gone into them. And they function as a site of history and as a symbol. And there's this mutable beauty that I think can be found in a ruin. Yes, they erode and yes, they decay, but they're also spontaneous ruins because you never know what you're going to find. There's growth and again, there's this cycle when you continually track them through the four seasons. I'm thinking right now this one image I have of the Tamarack Lodge. The Tamarack had burned in a fire and I went, knocked on the door of the home that was on the property and the granddaughter graciously let me photograph And that day I took a photograph of the elevator shaft. That was the only part left of of this whole compound, this whole complex. And I looked at that elevator shaft and I still look at it and I say, well, this is a totem pole. You know, this is a testament, like we were here. And through that, you know, that matter, that totem pole, it strikes back, it hits you and it resonates with you and it has this energy. And I think that, you know, obviously there's nothing new in the fact that like things get used and things get discarded. And I think it's an American epidemic where we go to the hottest place and then we're done with it. So we throw it away, whether it's a club or a restaurant or a town or a destination. And we see this theme all across America, especially in towns. The Borscht Belt is just one of them. What I'm trying to capture is not only the past and what that says about that place, but the present, what's currently going on. And then what might happen in the future? My images aren't of dead spaces. Um, They're of places that are full of memory, of history, of narrative, of story, of this collective rebellion that transpired and everything that came out of it. The Catskills in in so many ways, you know, and and this place in the Borscht like it marks the spot for the Jews and it marks the spot for so many other groups. And that history, in addition to the ruins constantly morphing and changing is what drives me. The Borscht Belt Historical Marker Project is an endeavor I started in August 2022 after receiving a really generous offer by an organization called the Jewish American Society for Historic Preservation, who places historic markers across America in places of significant Jewish American 
history and importance. And Jerry Klinger, its founder, has agreed to fund 15 to 20, if not more, markers, essentially creating a historical marker trail where we're going to create a driving tour and a compendium of other programs. What's striking is that there's not one historical marker in Sullivan County or Ulster County that commemorates the Borscht Belt. We know these historical markers, people probably pass by them all the time. They're blue. They're often on the side of the road and they have text on them. Well, our markers are going to take it a step up. Our markers are going to be a more vibrant blue. They're going to have a tan background. They're going to have images on them. They're going to be double the size. And we have nine markers already in fabrication. Our first three are going to be on dedicated this summer and we're going to roll out Memorial Day weekend more in August more throughout the fall and many more throughout 2024 and instead of putting these markers roadside that's often difficult to navigate and not really appealing they're going to go in the center of all the towns with uh, Borscht Belt history so you can drive to Monticello or you can drive to Woodridge or Woodburn or Livingston Manor or Hurleyville and you can get out in a beautiful center of this, the, the town look at our marker which is dual-sided the front will talk about the specific history of that town the back will tell you what the Borscht Belt was if you have no clue on every marker and then you can go into some of the businesses and help the burgeoning renaissance of this area. The markers are not only for education, but they're for promoting tourism. And we're gonna have QR codes displayed next to them, which will allow you to go onto our website, which will have multimedia images, galleries, and there will be an extended story that you can learn more about the hotels and the bungalows that encompass the Borscht Belt. And you know, the markers are a starting point and then you can dig deeper if you'd like while taking a beautiful drive through a gorgeous landscape. Our website is maytheborschtbewithyou.org. Marissa, it has been such an honor to speak to you. I'm, I'm such a fan of what you do, and thank you so much for taking the time. Where can folks learn more about you and purchase a copy of The Borscht Belt, Revisiting the Remains of America's Jewish Vacation Land? My website is my name, marissascheinfeld.com, but the book has an official website. It's borschtbeltbook.com. The book is available anywhere you find your books. Independent bookstores should have it, the big boxes. But if you're in the Catskills, there's a few lovely places that also have it. Forage and Gather in Mountaindale, Sunny's Pop in Narrowsburg, the Hurleyville General Store in Hurleyville, Lit Home and Books in Calicoon. Awesome. Well, Marissa, thank you so much thank for you. chatting with me today. It's been a real pleasure. It was lovely to talk to you. Really, it was really lovely. I appreciate your questions. And anytime I get to talk about the Borscht Belt, I've been living and breathing and I love it. But this conversation was especially interesting. Things might have been different in the USA If some of these things had If you're just tuning in for the first time, then again, welcome to Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. The entire first season is available now, wherever you get your podcasts, and season two comes out this September. If you liked what you heard in this episode, then go check it out. And if you're feeling super generous, maybe you could even rate it, review it, and subscribe? Then we can keep feeling this abandoned fantasy together. You can also learn more about the comprehensive All-American Ruins multiverse at allamericanruins.com or follow me on Instagram at allamericanruins. 
Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast is written, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Blake File, with studio space courtesy of Radio Kingston, WKNY AM 1490 FM 1079 in Kingston, New York. This special bonus episode was produced all thanks to the exceptional generosity and talent of Marissa Scheinfeld. You can learn more about her work at marissascheinfeld.com. That's M-A-R-I-S-A-S-C-H-E-I-N-F-E-L-D.com. dot com.